Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by Blue Apron. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mr. Bright Eyes, Jason Snell. <laughs> you almost called me your co-host salmon, didn't you? Mm. I'm not that. I'm not your salmon, no. Stephen. Co-host. I'm just your co-host. We have a busy show today. We do. We're gonna. We're gonna. Um, we're going to use our magical powers to cast the Earth into darkness. Oh. By which I mean we're going to talk about uh, eclipses. Hmm. It really felt like it was going a different direction there for a minute. No, that's, I mean you know that's one of the things. The stories. There are lots of legends and stories about eclipses. The idea that it's a, you know, a monster is eating the sun, and there's a magician who takes credit for it all, and things like that. There are lots. Of, there's lots of that. We're not going to talk about that. We're gonna because again, it's probably not aliens. It's probably not magicians. It's an actual astronomical phenomenon. We'll talk about it. But first, we've got some pre-flight check, checklist items. We do. So we've been speaking the last several episodes about what NASA is going to do with these first couple of SLS missions. The initial plan was for EM-1, the first flight, to be uncrewed, and then EM-2, the second flight, to be crewed. And then in February, they said, whoa, hang on, we're going to reevaluate all of this. And uh, the last couple days, it's come out that they evaluated it and decided to stick with the original plan. So that even though it's technically possible to launch a crew on EM-1 due to cost, risk, technical factors that we're going to stick with the original plan. EM-1 will be uncrewed. EM-2 will put a crew out um, into cislunar space, um, circle the moon, and come back. So back to the original plan, which uh, I think is the right call for, for my part. So thumbs up for me. Yeah, it was they, – they, you know, I think it's okay that they looked at it. It's a very expensive thing to launch one of these very very expensive and the idea of saying well do we need to launch one without a crew and then launch one with a crew but uh so they looked at it and they said yeah it doesn't really doesn't really work so onward onward so like i said em2 crew going to cislunar space it will actually be the farthest uh humans have been from the surface of the earth which is kind of fun uh so there's some links about those missions in the show notes but um this is still you know a ways off they're not this isn't right around the corner quite yet so we're talking a year and a half two years out at least yeah what is the i guess it's only slightly further away from earth than people have ever been right just by I mean, a little I, bit I guess, yeah 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 because <laughs> they're, they're, they're still they're still doing a i think a free return mm-hmm. trajectory around to get back to earth just like uh apollo 13 and yeah so it's it's um They'll just be a little a little bigger orbit around the moon, I guess, before they turn back around. Yeah. But still, it's cool. It is cool. We haven't been further than that. Just behind the moon is about as far as we've ever been. So that's cool. Yeah. So that is, uh, that's kind of what's going on with this. You know, I think that we're going to enter a period of news with SLS. They're going to be ramping up testing, uh, starting to see, you know, more components come together. But like I said, we're still a ways off from this thing taking off. So um, are there aliens, Stephen? Are there aliens? Uh, probably not aliens. Yeah, probably. Probably not. not. Is it magicians? Are magicians <laughs> behind KIC eight four six two eight five two? It doesn't sound like a name that magicians would call it like something cool. Um, but this is, of course, the star that w- people have speculated maybe an alien megastructure, a ring world, or a or a d- partially constructed Dyson sphere, or something like that, was behind the idea that there's this uh, this star that has really weird characteristics in terms of the light it puts out, and the idea that uh, it doesn't really match up with what we understand about how stars should behave, and that's. The, the truth of it, right, is that what's interesting about this is not that it might be aliens, because it's probably not, but that anything that we see in the universe that doesn't really make sense to us is a, an opportunity for us to figure out what's going on and, and see how that affects our view of the universe. So this star has had these weird blips in its uh, the light it puts out for a while now, and it just happened again. So everybody's on it, because everybody's been watching, knowing that this is this super weird star and last week, as we record this, uh, the the last Thursday, they had strange uh, dips in the light output from it, and uh, and these things tend to last like nearly a week, 
and the light has dropped by close to 20%, mm -hmm. which just to put it in perspective, most planets, it's like a percent or less yeah. when we when we measure transits of a planet in front of the surface of a star. So the question is really like, what the heck is going on? Um, and the only way to do that is to measure it. So they, they kind of uh, mobilized the troops here a little bit in trying to get as many people to point their telescopes at this in various wavelengths so that we could really get a better idea of what's going on. You could even try to do some spectroscopy so you have an idea of what uh, elements are present in in the in these in the system. Uh, and so apparently, you know, everybody got the call and knew that this might happen and took some pictures of it. And uh, we'll see what the results of that are. But it, you know, again, you need to have that moment where something weird starts to happen on the star and then you try to measure it and record it and see what we can learn from it. So hopefully there's nothing, nobody's really um, written anything about exactly what's going on. Everybody's got to kind of study the results. But it's another piece of the larger picture of this completely bizarre star. Yeah, the, the project has really benefited from the press, right? That it's unusual, like you said, the the dips are twenty percent as opposed to like one percent. They're also the way the light uh, kind of fades and comes back is not necessarily symmetrical on a graph. So most of the time, if a plant, uh, you know, a circular planet crosses a star between the star and us, the light kind of goes down in a predictable fashion, then comes back up, and that's not the case with this. That um, Sometimes it's that way and other times it is, you know, it gets dark way faster than the light comes back. All sorts of things that don't fit into yeah. what we see from other transiting systems. And so the, the yeah. whole thing's and, unusual. And it doesn't necessarily follow what we understand to be our models of what a variable star would do, too. Although some people people were trying to scour historic astronomical records to try and figure out what the history of this star is. And there's some suggestion that it has been dimming over the last century. So there's something else going on there too. Like that, what, what <laughs> this is not a regular old star, like most of the ones we see. So it's a great opportunity for us. Maybe we're watching some very particular part of stellar evolution that we don't understand. Maybe that's a part of this um, as well. Maybe there's something going on with a star as well as the system around it. We just don't know. That's And I, I think that's exciting, even if there are not aliens floating around in front of it. There is a, a TED Talk. We'll have a link in the show notes um, by astronomer Tabitha Boyahan. She kind of taken the lead on this project and she had a Kickstarter uh, to help help fund some additional research and she's really been at the forefront of getting you know the public and even you know casual like astronomers backyard astronomers uh, involved in this and so last Thursday when the news came out that this was happening again uh, thanks to her work a bunch of people pointed their hardware at the sky looking at the star. So uh, it's a pretty quick talk, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but goes into the background of how it was discovered and why it's so different. And um, it's a couple years old now, but I, I really enjoyed it. I think I think you would too. So that will be, uh, that'll be in the show notes. Sounds good. Kind of on the theme of, um, I guess, things that orbit other things. That's a, that's a broad theme. I was trying to tie these two things together. That's, that's, I really that's failed. Our, that's our whole. That's our whole thing. It's the whole here. pitch. It's things that orbit other things, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a whole podcast about it. Yeah. So the third largest dwarf planet uh, in our solar system. Uh, so we have Pluto, uh, we have uh, Eris, and now we have two thousand seven OR ten. Once you get <laughs> down your name, you know your names get less less easy to remember. There's a process by which these things get named mm -hmm. um and this one is um nicknamed by mike brown finder of far off planets uh snow white because it's uh, got a it's it's presumably got a very light reflective color but um it doesn't have an official name yet no official name so, we'll, so we could call it Snow White if you don't want to call it 2007 OR10. I like Snow White. So this is way out in the Kuiper Belt, that ring of debris left over from the beginning of the solar system that orbits the sun way, way far out there. Uh, this thing is only about 950 miles in diameter, so it's not very big, uh, speaking you know, in planet scale. Uh, it was discovered about a decade ago. Um, by uh, a telescope in California and 
uh, to kind of put in perspective how far it is, it's like three times further from the sun than than Pluto, and has a very eccentric orbit. So we're talking way out there, and uh, thanks to the Kepler mission, which we spoke about earlier, uh, it looks like this this little planet, this little dwarf planet, has a tiny baby moon going around it. So it looks like it it rotates. Um, on its axis about every 45 hours, which is slower than other Kuiper Belt objects. And one reason that may be slower, it was hypothesized that a moon is there dragging it and slowing it down, that the gravity of the moon pulling on the dwarf planet will slow down its rotation. And turns out, thanks to some pictures, uh, that that's what's going on. So there's a tiny, tiny moon circling Snow White. Yeah, it could be um, Prince Charming. There you go. Or it could be one of the seven dwarfs, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's it's cool. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, Mike Brown and Meg Schwamm and David Rabinowitz are the names of the discoverers. Uh, so it's again another one of these Caltech people finding these icy bodies at the outside of the solar system. But it's nice; it's got a buddy out there. It's great. Yeah, and the and uh, the the. Uh, naming of it gets to go to those discoverers, so they get to to work on the name, which I think is neat. And, you know, we've talked about the Kuiper Belt on and off. There's a whole bunch of debris out there. And I think it's, um, you know, we're we're just now sort of probing it. We can see into it. Uh, We have New Horizons. Um, We'll be studying a Kuiper Belt object uh, after its pass at Pluto. So this is a, a part of the solar system that is becoming more known to us uh, as as our hardware gets better and, and as we as we look at it more. Yeah, and it is uh, I, another link we'll put in the show notes. It is uh, we, we're not 100 percent sure on its size, but we know it's as far as we can tell, the largest unnamed object, uh, unnamed world in the solar system. So it will get a name at some point, but uh, it's unclear when that will actually happen. It's like naming a kid. You know, you got to make sure it doesn't I mean, rhyme with anything terrible. It's a whole process. Well. Yeah, and it's uh, I mean, it's nice because we we talk about this stuff a lot because the outer solar system here is where the a lot of the action has been happening the, the last couple of decades in terms of astronomical discovery. I think I would say that like the two biggest stories maybe of the last twenty years are exoplanets and understanding the Kuiper Belt and the objects in it better. I mean, you throw in the Pluto flyby by New Horizons and the discovery of uh, Eris and. Uh, a, a bunch of the obje- other objects, not only Snow White here, but Makemake and Haumea. There are a bunch of interesting outer solar system objects that we've uh, been able to discover in the last 20 years. I say we, like humans, right? Right. I think those are the two most interesting things going on in in uh, space exploration right now, are, are understanding those two things. So it's uh, it's cool. Cool. More data. Like I, re- I remember when Pluto was thought to not... Pluto was just a planet, and then... It, it was very exciting when they discovered that no, it has a it has a moon, and it turns out it has several moons. Mm-hmm. So, and now we've seen them. What's going on in the Senate, Stephen? <laughs> what the heck is happening in the Senate? Are they declared war on the moon again? So this is like going on as we record this. So this is more of a this thing is happening. Look out for it. We don't actually know the news yet. Current Jason and Stephen don't know. Um, but the Outer Space Treaty is currently under review in the U.S. Senate. And if you're not familiar with it, you should go read about it. There'll be a link in the show notes. Lauren Grush wrote a really nice explainer uh, about the Outer Space Treaty. But in general, what the Outer Space Treaty does is prevents uh, countries from placing weapons of mass destruction in orbit around Earth. So this, talking about like um, nuclear testing, uh, this is kind of where this came from, Um during the sort of the atomic age, there was a lot of nuclear testing in the atmosphere and out in the middle of nowhere in the ocean and in the desert. That's all underground now, but it... Um, well, if you think of, of it from a balance of power perspective, too, I remember this from a Star Trek episode, believe it or not, that was... <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> it was... Well, I learned a lot from Star Trek, but it, it, it was an episode made before the Apollo program because Star Trek aired sort of in the mid-60s, and it was positing a near-future where they were launching, um, or I mean, not before, while the Apollo program was going on, but like Star Trek had finished airing before people landed on the moon. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting. But they were, you know, and I'm watching in the 70s, but uh, it was positing this military uh, launch, and it was a nuclear, a launch of a nuclear platform in space. And that was a real fear in the 60s. Was, and if you think about it, even today, we've got ICBMs, 
And when I see say we again, I mean the human race, the lift off, the, not the liftoff podcast, but not our <laughs> podcast. And uh, what you have to do is you have to launch a missile, which is a rocket launch, and it has to go up, and then it has to to go back down and find it, you know, and find its target and reach its destination, and then it blows up the the nuclear bomb, right? And there was fear in the 60s that what would happen was there would be nuclear proliferation in space. And the idea there is even scarier because um, if you're if you're dealing with the balance of power, what happens if you have your nuclear bombs ready to go just hanging up above the head of your enemy and you can just drop them at any time? It's a different kind of calculation. And so everybody basically agreed, okay, we're not going to do that. We can build, we'll build weapons here on Earth, but for space Space, let's just say we're not going to do that. I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I mean, it's terrifying. The idea of the, really that's is. what that Star Trek episode really did is like, oh, wow, like a nuclear platform where they're just bombs floating overhead ready to be dropped on you if they decide to. It's like that's even more terrifying than the idea that at least you got to put the effort in with an ICBM. You got to, right. as North Korea is finding out, like that's there, you got to make, you got to put in the work for that. Uh, the treaty also uh, speaks to limits on use of the moon and other uh, other worlds, other bodies to be peaceful and, again, uh, prohibits like the moon from being used for, for weapons testing of any kind, any military maneuver, establishing a military base, uh, et cetera. So it's, it's really unclear as of right now what Ted Cruz and company are reviewing about this, but this is in the news and I think it's something we're going to keep up with and uh, we'll keep reporting on is, you know, if it goes anywhere, if it doesn't, uh, it is a treaty. So, I mean, changing it would, would be, uh, complicated, I would think, unless the U S just backs out of it. But, um, this is something that's been in place for, for decades. In fact, it turned the, the treaty turned 50 years old, the beginning of this year. So it has been around a long time and, um, we'll see, we'll see what they do with it. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Strange times we live in. That's true. You want to tell us about our sponsor this week? Sure. Before we declare war on the moon, let me tell you about our next sponsor. Uh, this episode of Liftoff brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service. I use it. It's got fresh ingredients, less than $10 per meal. You get seasonal recipes, fresh, high-quality ingredients, measured to order so there's no food waste, so you can make delicious home-cooked meals. The whole idea here is that you become more confident in being able to cook at home, and you get great ingredients that are coming out of a more sustainable food system. Uh, the seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed with the Monterey Bay Aquarium. They've also got similarly responsibly raised animals that are uh, that is where the beef, chicken, and pork come from. The produce is from farms with regenerative farming. The idea is it's good quality ingredients in a sustainable food chain, and I can tell you it has really changed how we cook in our house. Every meal comes with a step by step, easy to follow recipe card, and these pre portioned ingredients takes 40 minutes or less to prepare it. You keep the recipe card. Last night's dinner here was a Blue Apron recipe from six months ago that we really liked. Put a little star on it saying, Yep, yeah, make this again. Everybody ate it. Everybody liked it. With kids, that can be a problem. To be honest, with me, that can be a problem. Picky people. And uh, we had a great experience with it. You can choose from a variety of new recipes each week. You can log into their website and see what your options are and pick the ones you want. And honestly, if if nothing's working for you that, that week, you just opt out and they don't charge you for that week. They don't ship you anything and you pick up with the next week. But you also get some choices uh, so you can see what recipes appeal to you or your family and make sure that those are the ones you get. Uh, if you want them to surprise you, you can also not log in and just say, do you know, do what you want, Blue Apron, and they will <laughs> surprise you with interesting meals. Uh, no recipes are repeated within a year. Just some examples. Beef teriyaki stir-fry with sugar snap peas and lime rice. We had that. That was really good. Three cheese and baby broccoli stromboli with tomato and oregano dipping sauce. This is the kind of stuff you'll get. And you'll make it yourself, and it's out of fresh ingredients. Pretty great. Delivers to 99% of the continental U.S. No weekly commitment. You skip it if you don't want it. And the stuff will always arrive fresh. They guarantee it, or they will make it right. Check out this week's menu. Get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash liftoff. That way they know we sent you. You will love how good it feels and tastes to make these incredible meals at home with Blue Apron. Thank you, Blue Apron, for their support of Liftoff. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So we're going to talk about eclipses. Eclipses. Yes. Why would we talk about eclipses now, Stephen? Well, it's a big one right around the corner here in the U.S. Yeah, there's a big one, and we're gonna and we're gonna reveal, I believe, what we're currently planning 
both of us are apparently planning to do on that date. Yes. I can't wait. But before we get there, we should probably talk a little bit about what an eclipse is. Fundamentally, it is not a magic spell cast by someone. Mm. It is not a demon or a turtle that has eaten the sun or the moon. <laughs> These are not things that it is. Uh, it's when one body casts a shadow on another body, which, yeah, that means if you're standing at the beach and a friend of yours stands between you and the sun, uh, they are eclipsing the sun. That's fair. And that also mean because you want that sun. Uh, there are two kinds that we that we generally see on Earth, um, the lunar eclipse and the solar eclipse. Lunar eclipse is when, and I know this is basic, but again, a lot of people take the stuff for granted and they don't actually know how it works. A lunar eclipse is when the Earth gets between the sun and the moon, and then the Earth casts its shadow on the moon. It always happens at a full moon. If you think about it, when is the moon full? The moon is full when the sun is behind us and it's shining completely on the part of the moon that we can see because the moon phases are based on where the sun is in position to the moon. And then we view, you know, because the moon's always lit up halfway unless there's an eclipse. The phases are because of our position relative to the sun and the moon. So full moon means lunar eclipse time because the moon is between or the earth is between the sun and the moon um however um it's a little more complicated this is why we don't have a lunar eclipse every month um and we'll get to that but uh it's still a fairly common thing very common to see these two or three of them a year total total lunar eclipses happen a lot um if you see the moon you can see the eclipse it doesn't have this kind of um uh, thing like solar eclipses where there's a very narrow band that can see the eclipse, especially a total eclipse. So they're they're much more common in that way. A total lunar eclipse happens fairly often, no matter where you are in the world. And uh, it makes for great photography. Mm-hmm. When you get a total eclipse, often you get what's called the blood moon. And the idea there is that the, the, there's sunlight filtering around the edge of the Earth in the atmosphere where it's basically sunset. And that red light gets filtered through and still illuminates the moon darkly. And you get this kind of blood red lunar eclipse. But even when the when it's just a, a partial eclipse or the, or the eclipse is in progress, you can get some really beautiful shots of a lunar eclipse with your, with your camera just uh, taking pictures on a tripod or something like that, which I've done. And there's a lot fun it is a lot of fun we had a lunar eclipse uh sometime last year i feel like maybe in the last 12 or 14 months and uh went out to see it and unfortunately it was cloudy but because they happen so frequently it's not um a huge letdown if you miss one so no it's awesome when you can get one in uh like in the evening um, again, because it's a full moon, that means that it's on the opposite from the sun, which means that the moon is coming up as the sun is going down. It all works together. I think we did an episode about moon phases. We did. It's all, it's all there. If you think about it, you can, you can figure out your little model and you can make it work, right? So the great time for a lunar eclipse is the sun's just gone down and the moon is coming up and now there's an eclipse. A lot of times what will happen is that, yeah... It's at four in the morning. Mm-hmm. Like I've done that. I've set my alarm for two thirty in the morning or something, and gone out and stood in the cold and looked at the eclipse and woken up people. But it's more fun if it's sort of late in the evening after the sun has set. Um, and yeah, you if you miss it, there's there's going to be another one. There, you know, not always a total eclipse. Sometimes there are other kinds. The total eclipses are a little more rare, but they're still fun and they happen a lot. A lot. Um, but the solar eclipse is, is a more rare phenomenon in terms of where you can see them. They happen a couple of times a year. Uh, total eclipses are a little less common than partial eclipses, but they, they happen, they sweep over a narrow band. They sweep over the face of the earth, but in a fairly narrow band, if, especially if you're, ter- if you're thinking about totality uh, and a total eclipse of the sun is extra special. So a solar eclipse is when the moon gets between the earth and the sun because it's the same effect. There's a body between you and the sun and a shadow gets cast. So in this case, when we talk about a solar eclipse, it is the moon casting its shadow on the earth. Now, the moon's a lot smaller than the earth, which is why the moon's shadow is a lot smaller on the face of the earth than the earth's shadow is on the face of the moon, which is one of the reasons why we can see a lunar eclipse from almost anywhere because we're the eclipsing body and it, it's dramatic because our shadow on the moon is dramatic. On the, there are great pictures from space of, of solar eclipses because you can actually see that moon shadow sliding along the surface mm-hmm. of the earth. Um, it's pretty great. And always it always happens during, again, think about it, mental model here during a new moon 
because the new moon is the phase when the moon is between the earth and the sun. And so the sun is shining entirely on the face of the moon that we can't see. And these are not nearly as common, right? This is something that's right. much more rare. Right. It, it, it's it's um the, the lunar orbit. So this is all about the moon, whether we're casting a shadow on the moon or the moon's casting a shadow on us. It's the lunar orbit. If it was perfectly circular and in the same plane as the earth and the sun, we would have eclipses every month. But it's not perfect, right? This is not most of the things that we think of in you know in space. Like there, there, the orbits aren't perfect. They're tilted. The axes are tilted. The orbits are ellipses. There are all these things about orbits that are not quite right. And this is one of those things that's not quite right. It's tilted. The moon's orbit is tilted, so everything is a little bit more rare. But there are two solar eclipses generally every year. Um, most of them are partial eclipses. There's a special kind of eclipse that's rare. That's called the annular eclipse. And it's all about these angles that the moon is taking. And an annular eclipse, the moon is not, uh, the, the perce- perceived size of the moon in the sky is smaller than the perceived size of the sun. And so it forms kind of a, a total annular eclipse, which is not a thing. But when it covers, when it's not partial and, and it covers the whole face of the sun or tries to, it leaves a ring because it's just not able to completely cover the face of the sun. So that's a kind. And and then the real deal is the total solar eclipse. They're rare. They cover very little ground. If you look at a map of totality for an eclipse, you'll find that it's not particularly wide. Um, it's it's uh, So they, they, they'll cover a long amount of time uh, in terms of like covering a long span of, of, uh, of the surface of the Earth, but in a very narrow range. And, uh, and as a result, it takes, you know, on average, I think it's something like 400 years between total solar eclipses at an average random location on the face of the earth. And some get them more often and some of them get them much uh, less often. So generally, if you want to see, unless you're very lucky, like, uh, like the citizens of Nashville, Tennessee will be lucky mm-hmm. in uh, August, you will have to travel and put in some effort in order to see a total eclipse. They're around, and if you have an unlimited travel budget, <laughs> you can totally, you could totally see uh, total solar eclipses all the time. I had some friends who traveled to solar eclipses, but you have to travel far and wide to do it. Um, and and when I was talking about like weirdnesses in orbits, I want to mention that um, we're actually lucky in the sense that solar eclipses wouldn't happen except the moon despite being much, much smaller than the sun, is also basically that far away from the Earth, so that the apparent sizes of the moon and the sun in the sky from Earth are basically the same. If the moon was a little bit further away, it wouldn't cover the sun. (laughs) So we wouldn't get a total eclipse. So we're very lucky. And in fact, eventually the moon will move far enough away that there won't be. And in millions of years, I think, or maybe even billions of years, um, that they won't be able to have total eclipses anymore. But that's a long time. Yeah. We won't be around to cover that on the podcast. No, I'm not not too worried about it. Uh, There are other things... Uh, that will happen before then. It's a, it's a long-term kind of thing. So we're, we're lucky in that way. Like, we don't get them every, every month, which would be cool, but we do, uh, we do get them, which is a lucky thing, I think. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking down on the Earth, there are two different kinds of shadows okay. that are cast by the moon. There's, a, there's like the super dark shadow, which is the penumbra, and that's the total eclipse. And then there's this sort of lighter shadow, which is the umbra, which is, uh, the, and the, the umbra is where you see a partial eclipse. And the idea there is that the sun is dimmed. It's still casting a shadow because some of the light from the sun is being blocked, but it's, it's, it's partial shadow as opposed to the complete shadow. So if you're in a, in a, uh, in a partial eclipse, you're in the umbra, which is much larger than the penumbra, which is this super tight, dark total eclipse shadow yeah so we should talk we should, anytime talk about solar eclipses there's always fine print you should not you should not go Safety. out on in your front yard and, and look up at it directly um no looking in the sun is bad right super bad and unless you're in unless you're in totality unless it is the total eclipse the few minutes it's a couple minutes in august that it's a total eclipse you you shouldn't look at the sun and there are a couple ways to do it one is you can go on the internet and buy eclipse glasses, which are 
glasses you can use to look at the sun for a brief a brief period of time. They make them. They're weird little. They're like three D glasses at the uh, at the movie theater mm-hmm. kind of. They're they're little cardboard glasses. Um, or I guess you can get plastic ones too that are a little more expensive, and you can use those to look right up at the sun. Make sure that they're a, you know certified eclipse glasses. They're not some weird hinky kind of like welding glass or whatever. <laughs> like get the real eclipse glasses. Um, and even then, I would say don't you know look at the sun a little bit. Don't don't stare at it. It's it's you know it's dangerous. It's too bright. It will fry your eyes. But um, another way, if you don't have eclipse glasses and you're bummed out and you want to see the eclipse as it progresses, a pinhole camera works perfectly. So you take a piece of paper and you put a pin in it and make a little tiny hole and then you hold that up to the sun and look at the shadow it casts on the ground. And guess what? The shadow will be not a perfect circle. It will be the shape of the moon eclipsing the sun. Totally works. That we had a partial eclipse here a couple of years ago, and I remember bringing my pinhole camera out, and we were standing um, next to a tree, and the tree, the light was filtering through the leaves of the tree, and the little spaces on the ground of the shadow of the sunlight coming between the leaves of the tree were all shaped like the eclipse. Oof. It was pretty amazing. That's pretty wild. Um, right? Because the, the, the leaves were forming their own pinhole camera, basically, the gaps between the leaves in the trees. So if, if you don't have any way, don't, don't look at the sun during the eclipse, at the very least, you can do the pinhole camera trick. Totally works. And these things are uh, super predictable. So astronomers can work out uh, both into the future when and where solar eclipses will be, but also in the past, looking back uh, to know, you know, some point previously when a solar eclipse uh, took place and, and where it was visible. Yeah, and they can map these because because you know when and where, like exactly, you can map these to historical events. And that that is cool for a few reasons. It's cool because you can verify those events and be like, oh, they were talking about a solar eclipse. That makes sense. But it also lets you verify dates when you've got historical uh, references. How do you date them? And one of the ways you can date them, now sometimes they'll do it where they'll, they'll have it like a supernova and they will try to find the specific supernova and, where, and the nebula that remains now and estimate based on that, like how, how long ago it was. Or sometimes they'll do it with earthquakes and tsunamis where they'll have a record of an earthquake and they will realize later that they can dig through uh, in another part of the world and find, ref- and find the tsunami and discover that those must have been at the same time. That's the same event. Well, this is one of those ways with eclipses where somebody in a historical document will say this thing happened and they'll know they'll be able to figure out when that was and where it must have been because those things are calculable and uh, pretty limited. Like it's, this is a, something that happens over the course of a day and any given area it's for a few hours and totality is for a few minutes. So you can really pinpoint past events. It's like a clock uh, for, for historical records. That's pretty cool. And as I mentioned at the beginning, Lots of superstitions about this. You know, not going to go into them, but obviously there were people didn't understand early people what was happening with uh, eclipses, and so it was a super creepy event. Suddenly, it's nighttime in the middle of the day, um, and then you'd have people like trying to find the witches responsible, or people taking credit for it, people trying to predict them and failing. Um, all that is not fun anymore because now it you can go. I mean, literally, you could go to mr.eclipse.com, mr eclipse.com, and I think from there you can get a list of like every eclipse that's going to happen for the next thousand years. So you know takes all the fun out of it and uh so let's talk about august so august uh all right august 21st 2017 will be the it's a monday f- yeah, it's a monday uh the first total eclipse in the lower 48 states since 1979 yeah forgive those in uh in in australia or europe or anywhere else where you're listening to this um everybody can uh everybody can look up for themselves i i, I just for my personal reference in north america which is a fairly large fairly large span Uh, i remember that 1979 eclipse it was a partial eclipse where i was because it was a total eclipse in the pacific northwest which is actually getting another one this year so there there is a again talking about those lucky parts of the country uh, in this case or or the world there are places in oregon that will have had a total eclipse in 1979 and will get another one in 2017 so they're very lucky this eclipse starts is entirely in the united states which is kind of funny it begins in in the pacific ocean uh, it crosses over land in oregon 
and moves across the United States all the way to South Carolina and then continues off into the Atlantic Ocean. So the entire lower 48 of the United States will get a partial eclipse. Everybody in the U.S. in the in the 48 contiguous, contiguous states will have a partial eclipse on that day. So if you're listening to this in the United States and, those, and not Alaska and Hawaii, guess what? Get a pinhole camera, get some eclipse glasses. You'll be able to see something. San Francisco, it's going to be about 73% covered at max. New York City is about 70. I think the lowest is sort of Corpus Christi, Texas. That's far enough away from the path that it's only going to be about 50% there. But everybody's going to get a partial on this. So... Um, so plan for it. Like, we know when it's going to happen. It, it happens on a Monday in August, August 21st. Everybody should be able to, one, get some Eclipse glasses, go on Amazon, buy some Eclipse glasses, uh, take part of that Monday off, plan, take the day off, have an Eclipse party, take the morning or the afternoon off, go outside and look at it. This is a fairly rare event to have a major eclipse in North America. So if you're in North America and in an area where you can view this in any way, you should uh, give it a give it a shot, I think. Absolutely. So what um, what can you do about as far as like planning for weather or, or that sort of thing? Is there any guidelines you should look out for? Well, yeah. So this is the, this is the thing. Um, the weather is going to be a factor because, you know, clouds cover up the sun. It's bad, right? It's bad. If you're in the path of totality and the weather is bad, you will still experience <laughs> darkness. <the> darkness <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it won't be as spectacular as all the rest of it. So, uh, you know... So weather's a concern. I think, so just let me back up a second. I think if you live plausibly close enough to the path of totality, which is running, you can imagine it, it's running in a path from Oregon to South Carolina. So it's across the center of the United States. If you live close enough, you should go see it. I think you're listening to Liftoff. Consider it. You've got some warning. If you didn't know about it before, you've got our warning now. August 21st, if, if, if it's close enough for you to take that day off of work and then drive home afterward, it's going to happen in the uh, like late morning in the West and sort of early afternoon in the East, but it happens fairly quickly. And then you can go home. But in many ways, this may be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So don't miss it if you can manage it. Now, weather-wise, August, depending on where you live in the country, you know that there may be there may be clouds that get in the way. There's kind of the luck of the draw. I know a lot of people, they're going to, they're expecting millions of people in Eastern Oregon, uh, near Bend, Oregon, uh, a little north of there where the path of totality falls, because that's basically a desert. So it's got probably the highest probability that there won't be clouds. Uh, there are other places that I've read that in the, in the, uh, in the Midwest that are, uh, although there are clouds, it covers so much sort of drivable land that you could potentially move around if the clouds are are looking bad to try and find another area where the sun angle is better but it's a crapshoot we're you know i'm going someplace that i'm hopeful will have good weather but you never know you just have to you just have to deal with it so there we'll put a couple of links into the show notes to some thoughts about like what an ideal weather location is but you are taking a chance that you'll miss it if the sun is covered by clouds now you know i think you got a better chance in august than in december but still there may be clouds and you gotta you gotta deal with it now we should probably talk about what we're gonna do we should so for me i was thinking i i thought about coming to the midwest i have family in southern indiana and southern indiana is not that far from the path of totality thought about that i also have a sister who lives in oregon by the coast so there's cloud issues there but she lives I believe like a mile south of the path of totality. So I could stay with her. And then that morning we could just drive up into town and see the eclipse, which is pretty cool. But what we decided to do was go somewhere with a little bit better chance of good weather. Um, so I'm going, we're going to take a, we're going to take a road trip with the family and we're going to end up on that Monday north of Idaho Falls, Idaho, where we'll get, two minutes and 18 seconds of totality. This is not the longest of eclipses. There, the, the next one in the U.S. actually is about twice as long in terms of the totality you can expect. But um, the reason that the to total eclipse is such a big deal, 
which I didn't really mention before, not only does it's night, basically, it's suddenly night for a couple of minutes, but there are, you can see, if the sky is clear, you can see the solar corona, which you can never otherwise see, which is the the outermost part of the sun radiating out from the, the main solar body. You normally can't see it because the main solar body is so bright that nobody can see it. But when it's blocked by the disk of the moon, you can see it, and it's apparently, from pictures, very spectacular. And there are other little things that happen, like the sun shining through the mountains on the edge of the moon that can create kind of a diamond ring effect. They, they call the diamond ring effect, the Bailey's beads effect. There's a bunch of different things that happen if you are in totality, which is why totality is the way to go if you can manage it. So we actually found a place, I was reading articles about places that were setting up for the solar eclipse. And there's uh, there are these people who are in the path of totality who own land next to a volcanic butte in idaho and they it's an alfalfa field and for the eclipse they're basically striping it out as a campground and bringing in porta potties and stuff and you can st- you can be there the night before and uh, then that morning just walk up to the top of the volcanic butte experience the eclipse and then go back to your car and drive home basically and that's what we're gonna do so I guess we'll put a link in the show notes uh, to IdahoSolarEclipse.com. Uh, my family will probably be there. So I guess if you want to meet up and talk space with me. <laughs> in Idaho. You could you could uh, make a reservation in the campground, I suppose. Let me know. Because that's where we'll probably be is in, um, in, uh, in Idaho on, on the Butte. That's pretty great. So uh, here in Memphis, I'm about two and a half hours south of Nashville, which is the largest city actually in the path of totality, yes. which is pretty cool. Nashville is a little south of center. So uh, I was looking at this map. Nashville will have a minute and 57 seconds of darkness. The If you go a little bit north to Hopskinville, Kentucky, you get two minutes and 41 seconds. Um, Carbondale, Illinois, by the way, I think has the longest at two minutes and 41.6 seconds. Uh, so if you're yeah. in sort of the Midwest, Carbondale, Illinois is uh, Carbondale, Illinois is the way to go, I think. Uh, but I have family uh, in Nashville. They kind of live out of the city, out in the country. They got a bunch of land, and so uh, I'm going to go up there and see my aunt and uncle <laughs> and have lunch with them, and then uh, go out in their property and and see it. So. Um, I thought about going uh, up to to Kentucky, but. Um, my aunt and uncle were gracious enough to host us. I think we're going to take the kids with us. Yeah, family family near the eclipse is a great thing. That's why I was thinking about uh, going to Southern Indiana. Is that same thing, or or visiting my sister in Oregon? Like those are interesting options because then you don't have to deal with the rest of it, right? Right. Because there will be there will be crowds like everywhere. Don't try to find a hotel in the path of totality because it's probably eight hundred dollars mm-hmm. a night or sold out at this point because people have been planning this for some time right so but if you've got family close that that helps or or uh yeah make a game plan yeah yeah so, so that's our plan um you know we'll see it in nashville and you know i think um i think it's personally you know perfectly reasonable to take the kids uh with us they'll be in school but you know take a little uh family field trip that day because like you said it is it is rare and it, it to, yes to have it so close to home uh, you know, here in Memphis, it's it's going to be pretty good coverage. I mean, it's going to get um, – I, I couldn't find the percentage, but it's – I mean, it's going to be probably in the high 80s, 90 percentile. But um, get in the car for the afternoon to go see it totally yeah. is just like a, a no-brainer. Yeah, one of the things that may seem like, you know, it, with eclipses, it's a little counterintuitive. It's like if if you are living somewhere where it's 90 percent or 80 percent or 60 percent, you know, you're really getting the same experience. The difference between being in a place with 95% and 100% is huge. So like if you're if you're someplace where you can get 90% coverage, that doesn't mean you don't need to go to someplace where it's going to be totality. What it means is you're so close to totality that you have to go mm-hmm. because it's very close to you. Because in that small it's like maybe a couple miles wide it's a very small path of totality it's completely different because that's that's where the sun is entirely blocked you're going to be able to see the solar corona it is again my pep talk if you can manage it you got to do it so 
pictures. You were, you and I were talking about this earlier. Um, you can take pictures of solar eclipses, but it sounds like you you should probably like uh, take some uh, have some special equipment or filters and uh, take some care. Yeah, so we'll have a couple links in the show notes. This is complicated to get into on a podcast, but yeah, uh, you want to have um, some homework done. You want to have some solar filters with you. So you can um, you can step that down. You want to uh, you want to do your homework because if you blow it, you know you got to stick around for hundreds of years. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you can buy solar. They, they sell solar filters for cameras that oh, let yeah. you take pictures of the sun, yep. basically. So so other than when it's in totality, that's what you want. Just like your solar eclipse glasses, these are solar eclipse glasses for your camera. Mm-hmm. You know the they say to shoot between f eight and f sixteen, shut your shutter speed. Um, the nice thing is, even I mean, you only have a couple of minutes, but you know you can see kind of instantly what it's doing. Uh, I'm actually planning on shooting with my camera tethered to my laptop, so I can see like large previews and make adjustments on the fly. Um, but we'll have a bunch of links in the show notes. Go check them out. Yeah, and you can practice. That's the best thing. Is that you know what? All day the sun is out for you to take pictures of it. So if you get a solar filter for your camera, you can practice on the regular uneclipsed sun and get it down and then you've got that part for taking the part before and after totality if you go to a, an area or if you're just not in if you're someplace and you're not going to go there and you're in the in the u.s you will still be able to see this and uh photograph it if you want to with your solar filter so you can practice beforehand so you've got it all set for that day so let's talk about uh another total eclipse coming up in april on april 8th 2024 Uh, This will be in North America again, and one small portion of the country will experience both the 2017 and 2024 eclipse. Uh, That is southern Illinois. So that Carbondale town we mentioned earlier is basically right in this butter zone to to see both 2017 and 2024s. This path is vastly different. A little Missouri, a little Kentucky, and, and the southern tip of Illinois. And uh, yeah, so those people are really super lucky because they're going to be able to just sit in their homes <laughs> and get two total eclipses yeah. in seven-year period. That's pretty amazing. Maybe Carbondale should have some sort of like move to Carbondale PR around this, like you know, yeah, right in the get on it, right in the right in the in the zone. So the the path is different for this one. Uh, it comes up uh, Mexico through Texas, and then all the way up to Lake Erie up through Maine. So Jason, this is a ways away from you, but for me. I just have to basically go into Arkansas to see it. So it's it's even closer to me than 2017. Yeah, yeah it's it's good for you. And uh, this one will go through Mexico, which is nice. And then people in the Northeast will really, because it, it's like up through like Lake Erie and uh, Maine. So people in that part of the, the, the U.S. will be able to, to see it and in Canada as well. So there's, um, yeah. So for that one, I will have to travel a little bit more, but I think I'll do that. I think that's not too unreasonable to travel to the, to the Midwest or something and, and see that one. But even though I'm going to give you the, try the Idaho thing this time. So yeah, a, spring, spring eclipse, April 8, 2024. Now, uh, 2045 uh, is also looking good for both of us. So it, it comes in at the very top of uh, California and then basically crosses like totality is like an hour south of me here in Memphis, right down to Mississippi. So uh, we'll put... So when I'm 75 years old, yeah. if I can still see things, I can uh, I can go to Northern California and yeah. uh, see a total eclipse. Yeah. So we'll put uh, we'll put this website in uh, the show notes, uh, greatamericaneclipse.com. Lots of resources here. Uh, they sell uh, eclipse glasses too, if you're looking for. Of course, a they do. Um, and uh, says so you can kind of see all these different paths that that, that these will take over the next uh, the next hundred years or so. Yeah, and the uh, Mr. Eclipse site especially, but there there are, are uh, many others that there. If if you're in Australia or like I said, or Europe or someplace else, look at the maps because you too will have upcoming lunar and solar eclipses that are exciting, um, and that you should try to see. It's just that we we're sort of focused on this one because it's such a an event to be across the entire United States like it is. So, uh, but you could take a lot of our conversation about this and apply it yourself to a nice total eclipse that happens in some other part of the world where you live or near where you live, someplace you can travel to. Um, they, cause they do, they do happen. Like there's a total, um, in South America that's happening in 2019. 
there's a total in uh, South America in 2020. <laughs> um, I imagine there are going to be a whole lot of excursions to Antarctica in December of 2021, like cruises and things, because there's a total solar eclipse in Antarctica in December of 2021 when it's just light all the time down there. And, you know, and they keep going. The uh, the U.S. one in 2024, Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. Um, and there's one in uh, Iceland and Spain in 2026. And it goes on. So you can keep on looking and find a find a destination that you want to uh, that you want to see an eclipse in. But they don't happen that often, the total ones especially. So just keep an eye out. Start start planning now. That's all right. Can't can't get ahead. I mean, like you said, if you if you need to stay someplace, that's going to be tricky. Um, but a lot of places, I would just imagine just Googled like Nashville solar eclipse and lots of places are going to have events, right? Like any place with a flat roof, basically in Nashville is going to have some sort of viewing party. So, um, yeah, that makes, makes sense. And if you're not going to be able to travel to a place with totality, one of the things to do is look for a local, um, science center. They will almost certainly have eclipse coverage where they have lots of TVs and they have cameras bank, you know, banked on, uh, or banks of cameras trained on the sun and they'll show you the partial and they'll show you probably like what's happening in the areas that have totality. And, uh, that can be a, a, a nice fallback if you don't have, um, if you don't have a chance to go to where there's a total eclipse. Yeah, that's a good point. So you can find all of these links to all of this stuff in our show notes this week, uh, relay.fm slash liftoff slash 47. Uh, you can get in touch with us there. There's an email link. You can find us on Twitter. The show is at liftoff podcast. Jason is at Jay Snell and you can find me there at ISMH. Now, our next episode, uh, I wanted to mention this real quickly. We're, oh, yeah, some homework. That's right, a little homework. So we are going to be discussing the film Hidden Figures. Um, it's out basically everywhere now. I rented it on iTunes. You can get it a bunch of places. Uh, Jason and I are going to talk about that for uh, the episode that comes out on June 6th, uh, that Tuesday. So um, we'd love if you would watch it, and uh, we're going to have a conversation about it. And uh, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. So we did that with The Martian over on The Incomparable, but we're going to do it um, here on Liftoff for this film. So Yeah. It's good. It's a, And it's totally, if, answering questions, it's totally family-friendly. Like, you you can watch it with the kids, watch it with the spouse. Like, it is, um, it's it's uh, totally cool as far as that goes. So, so yeah, I think, uh, I think that's it. Cool. All right. Well, um, we'll see everybody in two weeks and another fortnight with more uh, things from space. Hey, right. Adios. Bye everybody.